2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Stephanie's an independent, bubbly nine-year-old who prefers cowboy boots to dresses. We would
3: rather be out playing in the dirt with the trucks, with the boys, than in playing with dolls.
2: One night, she goes bowling with friends and never returns.
4: I remember him watching all of us kids. I realized that man that I saw could have been something more than just an unusual person.
5: She was a nine-year-old girl. If she'd have ran away from home, she'd be at
6: grandma's house, and she's not here.
2: It's a story that alters a small city forever.
6: October 11th will always bring back memories of Stephanie. She'll never be forgotten, not from any of us.
2: And left loved ones to face decades of enduring pain.
6: So I named my third child Stephanie after
3: my best friend. She's still a part of my family. She always will be.
2: October 11th, 1993, Chalice, Idaho, a rural city of just a thousand people, tucked between two scenic mountain chains. The closest town is an hour away.
6: Chalice is very small. It's very remote. So everybody knows everybody. Everybody watches out for everybody and everybody cares for everybody.
2: Around 3 p.m., nine-year-old Stephanie Crane finishes school and goes with her friends to the bowling alley just across the road.
4: We all walk to to Chalice Lanes bowling alley to do our elementary bowling league. We
3: bowled three games. A lot of the times we all ordered food and, and ate together.
4: Stephanie liked to be involved, so I know she played soccer and bowling.
2: Stephanie is definitely not a girl's girl.
5: I knew it! You got what? A baby gun. She was a tomboy. She ran around with Dad all the time. Went fishing, hunting, rock picking, very outdoorsy.
3: Her and I, were we both raised kind of the same way. We would rather be out playing in the dirt with the trucks with the boys than in playing with dolls and doing our hair and (laughs) nails. Couldn't wait to get to that age where we could hunt.
2: Stephanie has always made friends easily, with
4: boys as well as girls.
2: She seemed to be always bouncing around,
4: laughing. She had this huge smile and she was just funny, very outgoing. She didn't have enemies. She didn't dislike anybody. She liked everybody. She was fun to be around.
2: Stephanie's father, Ben, works in the local mineral mines and also does taxidermy. Her mother, Sandy, is a homemaker. They have three younger daughters, ages 2, 4, and 6.
5: Stephanie was closer to her father than she was her mother because there was the younger babies coming along, and I think Sandy was busy with them.
2: Her friends say that Stephanie has a unique relationship with her father.
3: They was always joking with each other and teasing each other and playing around, just happy, you know, loving.
2: <laughs> and Stephanie, the first grandchild of the family, is especially close to her grandmother, Hazel.
5: So Stephanie would come over and spend time with me because I was out working in the garden or the yard, and she liked to be out, and she spent
3: a lot of time.
2: Stephanie happily assumes the role of big sister to her three younger siblings.
3: She was always taking care of them, always making sure they had whatever they needed. I remember her packing her little sister around. It was like she was, our, she was kind of our alive doll
2: and the nine-year-old loves the freedom she has to walk or bike anywhere in Chalice.
4: We all rode bikes all over Chalice. We rode everywhere in Chalice, you know, the whole county.
2: It's the rare kind of town where people don't lock their doors. Children freely ride bicycles, walk by themselves, and play outside unaccompanied.
3: Parents were there a lot of times to pick us up, you know, somewhere. Stephanie always walked home from the bowling alley, like she walked home from school.
2: At 4.45 p.m. on October 11th, Stephanie and her classmates are wrapping up their games for their after-school bowling league. A teammate's mother, Luann Berry, is there, serving as scorekeeper for the kids.
6: The girls' team, which was Stephanie and her two friends, were actually bowling, and when they finished, the parents came and got them, or they left, and we were the only ones left finishing bowling.
2: On her way out, Luann sees Stephanie standing in the bowling alley parking lot.
6: I asked Stephanie, are you going home? And she lived just across the creek from the bowling alley. And she said, yes, she was going home. And so I got in my car, and as I backed out, I look in my rearview mirror, and I see Stephanie, and there was a footbridge that went across the creek. So I figured that she was going to cross the creek and then walk down to her grandma's house, Hazel's.
2: As they're pulling out of the parking lot, Brandy Bennetts and her mother also see Stephanie outside the bowling alley. But now she's waiting to cross Highway 93, headed back towards the school. I remember my mom
3: waiting for her to cross. So my mom kind of stopped and just said, ask Stephanie if she needs a ride, why is she headed back to the school? And I hollered, hey Steph, where are you going? You Wanna ride home? No, I forgot my backpack, she said, up on the soccer field.
2: The school is a five minute walk away And then it's 10 minutes back to Stephanie's home. She is supposed to be there by 5 p.m. Her grandmother, Hazel, lives right next door. But 5 o'clock passes with no sign of Stephanie.
5: Sandy, Stephanie's mother, called me about 5.15. And she said, is Stephanie over to your house? And I said, no, she's not. But I said, just a minute. Maybe she's out playing with the boys. So I went out and checked with the boys, and no, they hadn't seen Stephanie.
2: Stephanie's mother and grandmother immediately start to search for her.
5: And I got in the car, and I went driving around looking. And when it started getting dark, I knew she had to be someplace, because she wouldn't be out playing around when it got dark.
2: Her family says anyone who knows Stephanie is aware that the one thing that always terrified her was the dark.
5: She was always asking, can I stay the night with you? And I'd say, yes. And as soon as it started getting dusk, she wanted to go home. She spent very few nights with us.
2: Even when Stephanie was in her own home at night, it couldn't be dark in her bedroom.
3: We stayed the night at her house one night, and uh, we didn't shut the lights off in her little bedroom. I couldn't figure out why, and she didn't say it.
2: Her family wonders if Stephanie went home with a friend for a sleepover, maybe to escape the commotion at her house with three younger siblings.
5: We decided that the best chance was that she went home with a friend. I started calling those people to see, you know, if maybe she went home with somebody.
2: But Hazel's phone calls and a drive around town with Sandy turn up nothing. By 8 p.m., there's still no news about Stephanie and her mother, Sandy, becomes extremely concerned. Sandy
7: Crane, Stephanie's mother, came into the sheriff's office at about, I believe it was quarter after eight in the evening to report that she could not find her nine-year-old daughter, Stephanie. Then sent the one deputy who was in the office with me to check the creek behind the bowling alley
2: to see if she had fallen in. It appears that Stephanie isn't at the creek, though it's difficult to know for certain in the dark. Sheriff's Office dispatcher, Linda Dubiel, immediately calls in Custer County Search and Rescue, as well as the fire department. Townspeople also join the hunt for Stephanie.
6: So it was probably about 50 of us at the time. Um, And we all walked where we were supposed to walk and then came back, met at the bowling alley, and they wanted us to extend the search into town.
2: Knowing that time is of the essence, search teams use every means available.
7: They use the sheriff's office pickups in the search, horses, four-wheelers. They search on foot. Custer County Search and Rescue used boat to search from here to Salmon on the Salmon
2: River. But the teams find no sign of Stephanie.
6: We were supposed to report back to the sheriff's office at midnight, and we did, and the sheriff said that they were calling off the search.
2: With her close friend now inexplicably missing, Brandy Bennett's is haunted by her last image of Stephanie.
6: I waved to
3: her when she was on the sidewalk headed back up to the elementary school and I waved goodbye to her and told her I would see her tomorrow at school.
2: Nine-year-old Stephanie Crane didn't come home after leaving bowling practice in her hometown of Chalice, Idaho. She's been missing for 14 hours. The last people to see Stephanie remember her saying she was heading back to school to get her backpack and then home. Word travels fast around Chalice that Stephanie is missing. The next morning, her friend Brandy's mother shares the upsetting news. She's
3: like, well, they they can't find Stephanie. Nobody's seen Stephanie since yesterday at the bowling alley. I didn't know what to think.
2: Stephanie's parents and other loved ones are stunned by her disappearance.
4: I found out the next morning that Stephanie had not returned, and that's when the questions just stormed in on me. Her grandmother was asking, was Stephanie with you? You know, did she go somewhere else?
2: In the daylight, local sheriff's deputies, fire department, search and rescue, and over 100 volunteers expand the hunt. State and federal law enforcement also arrive in Chalice to lend a hand. A photo of Stephanie and a description of what she was wearing is faxed out to Idaho State Police and all the county law enforcement agencies across the state.
6: We fine-toothed more of the area where we had walked the previous night. Bushes and backyards with sheds, garages.
2: Then, suddenly, a curious sighting near the school gets investigators' attention. A vehicle that residents don't recognize is parked at the high school, a couple hundred yards from Stephanie's school.
7: We received numerous reports of a yellow pickup around the school. People just thought it was suspicious.
2: In a town the size of Chalice, residents say they often recognize each other's vehicles, but this one wasn't linked to any Chalice parent. When police go looking for the truck, they hit a snag. The truck that
7: was spotted at the school was not there when the deputies arrived, and nobody could provide a license plate.
2: While police try to locate the truck, local Chalice residents mobilized to spread the word about Stephanie's disappearance.
7: People formed what they called Friends of Stephanie, and they took flyers of Stephanie, and they stuffed them in envelopes to send, mail them out nationwide.
6: We sent flyers all over the United States. We would take 10, 15, 20 flyers, you know, notice with her picture on it, and people would post them all over in where they lived, in their town.
2: An Idaho State Police search dog is brought in to retrace Stephanie's possible movements. He was by the bowling
6: alley and going up to the high school and going down to Hazel's and where Stephanie
2: lived. The dog picks up Stephanie's scent, but then loses it just yards from the bowling alley. In the midst of the search efforts, Stephanie's friends and classmates say they try to resume their normal lives, but nothing is as it was before.
3: She sat off to the left of me. I remember when we went back to school that we were allowed to go to our desks, but we weren't allowed to touch Stephanie's desk. It kind of had some stuff around it, and it was meant to stay as it was.
4: I'm sitting in class, and Stephanie's not there. And when a kid, and when one of us was sick, everybody knew why we were sick or what we were doing. So it was really abnormal.
2: Four days after Stephanie went missing, investigators interviewed the children who were with her the night she disappeared. And several of them say they noticed something
4: that concerned them. I saw a suspicious person that I'd never seen before in my life, and he looked creepy.
2: According to the kids,
4: The stranger seemed to be fixated on their bowling game. I remember him watching all of us kids. I realized that man that I saw could have been something more than just an unusual person.
2: Jumping on the new lead, agents ask Stephanie's friend Chase for more
4: identifying details. That's when I started to explain everything to him that I could possibly think of down to they wanted to know what type of cigarettes he smoked
2: the FBI bring in a composite sketch artist to help reconstruct the suspicious man's face
4: they would say did he have a round face did he have a oval face and you know yeah he, ha- he had a skinny face and then they wanted to know how high his cheekbones were and they would show me how they would draw him once I said yeah that looks a lot like him they printed it off and they put it up for a wanted person
2: Investigators circulate the sketch statewide, but don't get any hits. They also speak with the owner of the bowling alley. Over the next 10 days, no further information comes in to explain what could have happened to Stephanie. Even a $50,000 reward, half raised by townspeople, half from an anonymous donor, produces no results. Stephanie's family continues to cope with the pain and confusion of her sudden disappearance.
5: You're haunted, and at first, you know, probably the first week, I didn't sleep at all. And now why did I think that if I stayed awake, something bad couldn't happen to her?
2: According to friends, Stephanie's parents are heartbroken, but trying to hold out some hope. Her father, Ben becomes more reserved.
3: I remember him being
2: more quiet,
3: not as talkative.
2: Seeing one of their own vanish into thin air, the people of Chalice are now living in fear.
4: These small communities, you think you're safe, and then you get that whiplash of nothing's safe anymore.
6: We were terrified, all of us, parents, children. We became very even more closed in than we are more protective.
2: Residents say the carefree days of children walking anywhere in Chalice by themselves are over.
6: Tad was only in third grade, and so I would deliver him to school in the morning by walking him to his classroom. I would pick him up from his classroom. I wouldn't even trust anybody to walk him to the school bus. And when I would get there, there would be 10, 15, 20 other parents picking their children up from the classroom.
2: Law enforcement continues canvassing door to door, trying to determine if anyone saw anything suspicious the night Stephanie vanished, including seeing strangers in town. The mysterious pickup truck parked at the high school is still unidentified. The investigator's task is complicated by the fact that Stephanie disappeared in October the middle of elk and deer hunting season. All month long, hunters from other towns and states drive through Chalice on Highway 93, the main road in and out of town that Stephanie was seen waiting to cross.
6: Hunters come from the cities, from the south, you know, um, Idle Falls and Pocatello, and it was very
2: crowded. Investigators have to contend with a frightening worst-case scenario a transient hunter could have come through town and quickly grabbed Stephanie from the side of the highway. On October 15th, four days after Stephanie went missing, a tip comes in, suggesting just that possibility. On the night she vanished, another unknown vehicle was seen in town, a blue van parked on the shoulder of Highway 93, about a half mile from the bowling alley. Then, just 45 minutes later, there's another sighting of a blue van, 30 miles south of Chalice. One of the reports Custer County
7: Sheriff's Office received from the clerk at the convenience store was that two men were fighting.
2: Four days after nine-year-old Stephanie Crane disappeared, authorities get a promising lead about a blue van that was seen in Chalice, Idaho, with two men fighting nearby. (laughs) deputies try to find the blue van where it was last seen on Highway 75, southeast of Chalice. But by the time the officers got there, the van was gone. As far as Custer County Sheriff's deputies can tell, the blue van is no longer in the Chalice area. They discover that like the earlier sighting of the pickup truck, no one wrote down the van's license plate or its make or model, and there was no security video recorded. Over the next three months, No further information comes in to law enforcement. The composite sketch of the man in the bowling alley is still leading nowhere.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: On September 27th,
2: 1994, just a day before what would have been Stephanie's 10th birthday, the residents of Chalice decide to market with a symbolic gesture.
7: Purple was her favorite color. In remembrance of Stephanie, the family and other townspeople have released purple balloons.
2: Already reeling from the loss of Stephanie, her family goes through even more upheaval in the years that follow. In 1995, a year and a half after Stephanie vanished, her parents, Sandy and Ben, decide to end their marriage.
5: They ended up splitting up, which I don't think is unusual. I think Ben tried to forget it or go on. I think Sandy had a harder time.
2: In May 1995, Hazel's daughter-in-law Sandy moves to Reno, Nevada and suffers health issues.
5: I don't think her life was good. She ended up passing away from blood clots in her lungs.
2: Stephanie's father, Ben, stays in Chalice and raises their three daughters on his own. According to her grandmother, the Crane family agonizes over the loss of Stephanie every day. Hazel says her husband, Earl, Stephanie's grandfather, becomes angry and frustrated at the complete lack of any answers in his granddaughter's disappearance.
5: He was mad. He was mad at whoever took her. He was mad at the legal system because they didn't find her. He was mad at himself because he couldn't solve it, figure it out.
2: Hazel says she tries her best to continue some semblance of a normal life, but it's extremely difficult.
5: I don't know that you cope. You just have to do the things you have to do. At one point, we had some friends down for dinner on Friday evening, and and everyone was laughing and joking around. I had a meltdown. I went outside, got in the RV, (laughs) sat down and bawled and cried.
2: Stephanie's family members say they feel that authorities have not kept them apprised of developments in the investigation. In 1995, Idaho's Attorney General visits the Cranes in an attempt to address their concerns. But the official message he brings them isn't a welcome one.
5: One of the things that we complained about was the fact that we didn't know we weren't being kept in the loop. And the state's attorney general said, you know, according to our office, there's no proof there was a crime committed here. I said, you think she just vaporized? I said, yes, there was a crime committed. They said, well, maybe she ran away. And I said, no, she didn't run away. She was a nine-year-old girl. If she'd have ran away from home, she'd be at grandma's house and she's not
2: here. The case goes cold for another year. But in early 1997, the Idaho Department of Fish and Game alerts the sheriff's office with a potentially huge lead. They have a hunter named Keith Hescock in custody for unlawful possession of wildlife. Inspectors have found a cache of pornography among his belongings, some of it appearing to depict underage females. What's more, they believe that Hescock was in the Chalice area four years earlier when Stephanie disappeared. We knew that Mr. Hescock was here
7: on October 11th because he had shot a bighorn sheep up Morgan Creek in Custer County.
2: Investigators also learn that Hascock used to drive a pickup truck that was similar to the mysterious yellow one spotted at the high school after Stephanie disappeared.
7: He drove a little yellow pickup, but we didn't really have enough, there wasn't enough evidence to follow that.
2: But four years later, police are unable to locate the yellow truck. Despite the discovery of the pornography, and a possible link to the truck, a search of Hascock's residence turns up no evidence of Stephanie. In the end, deputies can't connect him to her disappearance. No new tips come into Custer County. Once again, the case grows stone cold. And there are more changes in the Crane family's life. In 1998, five years after Stephanie disappeared, her father Ben moves the whole family to Orcas Island, Washington, about 800 miles from Idaho. Stephanie's grandparents, Hazel and Earl, remain in chalice, still hoping that she may someday come home.
5: I could see somebody maybe picking her up and telling her her mom and dad sold her or didn't want her. I think even a nine-year-old, even though she's older, I think you could convince her of that over time. And maybe that's just because I want to think that.
2: Two more years pass, with no further developments in the investigation. And then, in May 2000, almost seven years after Stephanie vanished, there's a stunning new lead, from Nampa, Idaho, 200 miles east of Chalice.
8: Sergeant Miles received information that an inmate in our detention facility had information on Stephanie Crane disappearance. So Miles interviewed this inmate
2: the inmate tells detectives that a female friend of his had rented a room in a man's apartment back in 1993, the year Stephanie went missing. The inmate says she told him that neighbors heard disturbing sounds from a street-level window.
8: They had heard a girl crying and screaming down in the basement. Nobody was ever allowed down there.
2: In the seven years since nine-year-old Stephanie Crane vanished, Law enforcement has had few productive leads. By the year 2000, the Crane case has become notorious throughout the state of Idaho.
4: When I say I've grown up in Chalice, you say, wasn't there a girl abducted from your town? There was, it's just a nationally known thing. Then in April of 2000,
2: the cold case suddenly heats up again after a tip comes in to the Canyon County Sheriff's Office 200 miles east of Chalice.
8: Stephanie Crane case was considered a big case. Anytime you have a little girl that goes missing, it's, it's important to do everything you can on it. And in our department did a lot, of, a lot of work and a lot of follow-up on this information over the course of several months.
2: The tip comes from a Canyon County prison inmate who tells officials about a woman who claims to know the man responsible for Stephanie's disappearance. Detectives bring the woman in for questioning. And she tells them that seven years earlier, in 1993, she roomed with a man who had drifted between Idaho and Oregon. When she lived with him in Nampa, Idaho, she found his behavior extremely suspicious.
8: That's when we learned about this basement, and uh, there was no, nobody allowed down there. He wouldn't let anybody down there, and people heard a girl crying down there.
2: The roommate says neighbors believed someone was being held captive. She says she asked the drifter why he always kept the basement locked, and his answer was troubling.
8: He said that it was his daughter. She was being punished for running away or something like that.
2: The woman tells deputies that when the drifter was out of the apartment, she went through his belongings and found several disturbing items, including girls' underwear. Frightened and confused, She decided she needed to get away from the drifter before something happened to her or her children. Seven years later, investigators wonder whether a girl allegedly held in the basement could have been Stephanie Crane.
8: This is the corner apartment number one where the drifter was residing. This is the window here where different individuals had said that they had heard a young girl screaming or crying.
2: In April 2000, Armed with the woman's account, Canyon County detectives dig into the drifter's background. They discover that 13 months before Stephanie vanished, in November of 1992, he was arrested on a sex charge involving a minor.
8: He was charged at a time that he lived in Portland with uh, abusing his daughter.
2: The drifter, whose name authorities won't release, was convicted of sexual abuse in the third degree but never served time because of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to six months of jail time suspended, three years of probation, and allowed to move to Idaho. The judge also ruled that any future contact with his daughter would have to be supervised. In mid-April, detectives track him down at his job.
8: When I first uh, confronted this drifter, he was working just basic common labor at a local business in Nampa and asked him if he would be willing to come in for an interview.
2: The man agrees to submit to a polygraph, and investigators ask him a series of pointed questions.
8: They were to the effect, did you have anything to do with the disappearance of Stephanie Crane? Did you take Stephanie Crane? Three questions along that nature in which he answered no, and it indicated that he was being extremely deceptive on his answers.
2: When he is told the polygraph results, the drifter becomes defensive.
8: He became kind of irate, argumentative, you know, tried to explain why his answers come up deceptive.
2: A week later, detectives obtain a search warrant for the drifters' former apartment in Nampa. They fully inspect the basement where, seven years earlier, neighbors said they heard a girl's voice.
8: There was a couple mattresses in the basement Some stains, appeared to be blood stains, which we cut out and labeled. We also found a rope that had some fibers, hairs in it. Detectives send
2: the blood-stained mattress and rope samples to the state lab near Boise. Two months later, the results come back. The blood findings are inconclusive. Forensics can't determine if the blood is human or from an animal. The hair sample is human. But the state lab isn't equipped to perform DNA testing on it because it doesn't have the follicle attached.
8: They would have to have more evidence as far as being able to say, well, you know, this was, hair was Stephanie Crane.
2: Although investigators believe they have some evidence that the drifter could be connected to Stephanie's disappearance, it's not enough for an arrest. So the mystery surrounding what happened to Stephanie lingers.
8: Such an old case. It's hard to say if, if anybody will ever be able to find out. You know, the more time goes by, the harder it gets.
2: A month later, Idaho State Police and the FBI are back in Chalice, still looking for evidence that might implicate the drifter. They show a photo lineup to Tina Foster, who was working at the bowling alley the night Stephanie disappeared. When asked if she sees the suspicious-looking man, Described seven years earlier by Stephanie's friend, Chase, Tina points to the photo of the drifter, but says she's not 100% certain. With no positive identification or physical evidence like DNA, investigators don't have enough to arrest him for Stephanie's kidnapping. In June 2002, the name of a man authorities questioned five years ago surfaces again. Bonneville County Sheriff's deputies are in hot pursuit of Keith Hescock, the hunter who was arrested for poaching and possessing pornography of seemingly underage females. Now, Hescock is suspected in a horrific sex crime.
7: He had kidnapped a little girl from Idaho Falls. He had raped her. He handcuffed her to the bed and he left and went to work. He had told her that he had done this before and he killed the little girl. She got a hold of a fire extinguisher. Hounded on the handcuffs until she got away.
2: Four hours after his 14-year-old victim escapes, Hescock is tracked down by authorities at his house. When Mr. Hescock showed up back up from work, the cops
7: were waiting at his front door. He took off. They had a high-speed chase through Bonneville County, ended up in Madison County. He got out. He shot and killed the police dog, shot the deputy in the leg, and then shot himself.
4: We have an down, a canine down.
2: We need Air Idaho up here. Hescock dies from the wound, so authorities may never know if he had anything to do with Stephanie's disappearance, but they say he remains a suspect. In November 2003, Hazel suffers another major loss when her husband Earl dies. For the next three years, there are no new developments in the case until December 2006, when a stunning lead comes in to law enforcement from the town of Thorn Creek, Idaho, 165 miles from Chalice. Police there are investigating a man's suicide, and they discover that he left behind a note describing feelings of guilt that drove him to take his own life. The note contains a name that's new to investigators, Kevin Mooney. The friend had left a note saying he
7: had to kill himself because he could not live with the secret that Kevin Mooney had told him. Kevin Mooney had told him that he had picked up a girl in Chalice,
2: raped and killed her, and he referred to her as Steph. In December 2006, 13 years after nine-year-old Stephanie Crane vanished, a new and unusual lead suddenly surfaces. A man in Thorn Creek 165 miles from Chalice, left a suicide note, stating that years earlier, a friend of his named Kevin Mooney told him he had kidnapped a girl named Steph in Chalice and killed her. Chalice law enforcement jumps on it.
7: After the Custer County Sheriff's Office received the information, we called Idaho State Police
2: and the FBI. They discover that Kevin Mooney is a 42-year-old who changes jobs frequently and has several criminal convictions for minor offenses.
7: Mr. Mooney was contacted, brought into the FBI office in Boise, given a polygraph.
2: Mooney tells police he can't remember being in Chalice on October 11, 1993. Sheriff's deputies conduct a full search of his house. We did take
7: cadaver dogs around Mr. Mooney's property, and they did not hit on anything.
2: Mooney tells investigators he doesn't know why his friend would say he killed a girl. When he passes his polygraph, detectives no longer consider him a person of interest. The investigation is once again at a dead end. On October 11th, 2012, 19 years after Stephanie went missing, the Crane family experiences yet another tragedy. 19
5: years... From the day that we lost Stephanie, we lost Ben. Just massive heart attack.
2: Stephanie's father, Ben, was 48 years old. Hazel says that living through the loss of her first granddaughter has forever changed the way her family treats one another.
5: Never leave without giving each other a hug and saying, I love you, even if it's just on the phone. You don't leave each other mad you know, because life's short.
2: According to Hazel, she has received some updates about the investigation into Stephanie's disappearance over the years, but she understands why she wasn't told about all the possible leads that came into the sheriff's office.
5: If we knew everything that came in that supposedly happened, you would be up and down so much that You'd probably drive yourself crazy, so I think they're protecting you when they don't tell you.
2: Linda Dubiel, who took the missing person report from Stephanie's mother 24 years ago, has never forgotten the young, carefree 9-year-old girl.
7: I just want to know what happened to this little girl that went missing when I was on duty. Where is she? Why can't we find her? It seems like she just disappeared into thin air.
2: Then, in June 2016, the search for Stephanie heats up yet again. This time, Linda Dubiel and a new group of investigators travel from Chalice to interview the drifter who was allegedly confining a girl in his basement back in 1993. The Custer County Sheriff's Office won't disclose anything from those interviews because Stephanie's case is an ongoing investigation. Detective Wayne Christie, who interviewed the drifter back in 2000, says he felt like he was on the verge of solving the case.
8: The most frustrating thing about this case is this drifter. We were pretty convinced that he was involved in it, but we just couldn't get him to confess, to give it up. I mean, he came close, but he just wouldn't take that final step.
2: Her grandmother Hazel says that she does her best to live in the present. But there is one thing about Stephanie's disappearance that she cannot shake.
5: I've thought for years that surely somebody saw something whether they didn't realize they saw what they saw or they just didn't want to
7: come forth with it. After all this time with her being gone, I would hope that if somebody had seen something they would come forward.
2: Recent news stories about girls who were abducted and then escaped from their kidnappers decades later give some people in Chalice hope.
7: When I saw this story of the three kidnapped gals from Ohio And then the story of J.C. Lee Dugard out of California.
2: Every now and then I'll think maybe she's still alive. Hazel says that after all these years, she still can't imagine what happened to Stephanie on that October night.
5: I'm not even sure she's dead. And maybe that's just because I want to think that.
2: Her loved ones say that even 24 years after she disappeared, Stephanie remains in their hearts.
6: October 11th, will always bring back memories of Stephanie. Fall, you remember Stephanie. It's just a given. She'll never be forgotten, you know, um, not from any of us. So I named my third child Stephanie after my best friend. She's
3: still a part of my family.
2: She always will be. If you have any information about Stephanie Crane or her disappearance, You can confidentially contact the Custer County Sheriff's Office at 208-879-2232. Her grandmother says she was beginning to see Stephanie's headstrong character emerging. When she wanted to do something, she wanted to do
5: it now, not when you got time to go help her.
2: And Stephanie had no problem sticking up for herself. One day, she was fishing with her father, Ben. A fish and game warden came over because he saw two fishing poles in the water. The law was that a person could only use one pole at a time.
5: Said he reached down and picked up the pole and started reeling it up, and he said to Ben, he says, and I suppose you're going to tell me that little girl over there's fishing with this pole. And he says, about that time she turned around and she says, that's my fishing pole, put it back. <laughs> and he says, well, I guess she's fishing with it.
2: On the third day after Stephanie vanished, citizens comb the sides of the highways on foot. Luanne Berry and her son Brandon join in. In a trench near the roadside, they discover a motor vehicle license plate.
6: And the license plate was on top of the grass where the shrubbery is and everything, it was just laying there. And we were told to keep things. If we found something, just report it.
2: Thinking that the license plate could have come from a vehicle involved in Stephanie's disappearance, Luann writes down the mile marker closest to where the license plate lay on Highway 93. Then, a truck takes them five miles south to continue searching. He found another license
6: plate. And he says, Mom, I found another license plate, and it's got the same number as the other license plate. I reported it to him. And then they went and they picked the license plates up and bagged them.
2: About five months later, Idaho State Police call in Luann and her son to discuss the license plates they found two days after Stephanie disappeared.
6: They asked if they were covered with dirt, or if they had had leaves on them, did they look like they had been there a while? Did they look um, like, were they upside down, right side up?
2: But the license plates do not lead to a suspect.
6: I remember there
3: being something in her desk that I wanted. I don't know particularly what it was. Maybe a note, you know, at that age, you pass little handwritten notes back and forth to one another possibly could have been something like that that I had written to her or something like that. I wanted that out of her desk. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to get it.
2: Seeing one of their own vanish into thin air, the people of Chalice are now living in fear.
4: As an eight-year-old, it took me a minute to realize that Stephanie wasn't gone just because she was on a trip. She was gone because possibly someone took her or she had been lost and it really sank in. You know, not even as parents to not let us go out unsupervised. You know, none of us kids really wanted to either. We were scared. You know, one of our fellow classmates, fellow friends was, had disappeared. You know, we didn't, we didn't really want to go outside doors either. We didn't, we didn't know what, ha- what happened. And I, I just remember being surreal coming to me as I'm talking to federal agents and sketching. And, like, she's really gone. She's not coming back unless a miracle happens, you know. I didn't really understand the whole abduction, kidnapping things at nine years old as you do now, but I understood it as in this is what we were taught at a young age, don't go with strangers because you may not ever come back. Stephanie's in this situation and it was scary. I mean, that's just, not only did parents want to keep us tight-knit, I think us kids were pretty tight-knit You know, we were scared. These small communities, you think you're safe, and then you get that whiplash of nothing's safe anymore. In September 2009, Custer County calls on the National
2: Center for Missing and Exploited Children for assistance and some fresh eyes on the case. They sent out people from what they call Project Alert, who actually
7: help with cold cases. And they came and they re-interviewed some people and did
2: reports. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children visits the locations where Stephanie was last seen and the area where Keith Hascock, the alleged child rapist who killed himself in 2002 during a police chase, used to hunt. But they find no evidence that Stephanie had been there. And anything that reminds Hazel of Stephanie is something she treasures.
5: I have a willow tree in my front yard it's got an odd limb that kind of grows out from the side of it. So my husband took two or three boards up there and kind of put it catty corners. So she climbed up there and then that was her tree house. I've had several people come and want to trim my tree and they all want to cut that limb off and I said, no, you can't cut that limb off. That's Stephanie's treehouse slim.